invite you to stand now and turn to the end of the book of Romans, and we will look at Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, and it's really our last look at the power of the gospel and all that that means as Romans comes to a conclusion. I hope that you've grown in your appreciation of God's love and apprehension of all that He has done in in Christ. Certainly, Romans has shown us this. So let's hear God's Word. Romans 16, I'll read verses 25 through 27, as we look together at the power of the gospel. Now to Him, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you yet again asking for wisdom, asking for discernment, asking that your Spirit would work in and through your preached Word to bless each one here. We ask that, that we might not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We had an issue at our house some weeks ago. We would use the microwave, so judge me now for using the microwave. We'd use the microwave, and it would quit halfway through and totally lose power. And I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, oh, is this, is this kind of burning something up or, or whatever? So you'd be using it, it would lose power, and you would have to go over to the breaker panel and it was tripping the breaker. So my conversation with the electrician who I had come out, I wasn't going to touch the electrical. He came out, replaced the breaker, told me uh, in point of fact that where they import, the country where they import these breakers from, it has some built-in obsolescence. So that's all I'm going to say there. But he replaced the breaker. We are back in business using the microwave again. Yes, judge me. And my point in telling you that is many Christians are kind of like that microwave in terms of they lose, we sometimes lose our connection with the power source of the gospel for doing that which God requires of us. And sometimes we fluctuate or we can vacillate between the power of the gospel, which is what we're going to look at, and really doing things in our own strength, by our own organization, our own self-control, our own uh, determination, our own discipline. And really, if we don't tap into, so to speak, the power of the gospel, we are never going to live the kind of life that God calls us to ultimately. The power source of Christianity is in the gospel. Now, that's true not just for Christians. It's true for non-Christians and Christians alike. Both non-Christians and Christians, we both need the power of the gospel as the motivation. 
for doing that which God has called us to do. Now, if someone's a non-Christian, they need the power of the gospel for conversion, to see the truth of the gospel, to have the Spirit regenerate them, that they might comprehend and grasp all that Christ has done for them. And for Christians, we need the power of the gospel not for conversion, but for what we would term sanctification. That is our growth with God and the transformation of our heart that happens over time as we more and more are conformed to the image of the Savior. And this is a passage which talks about the power of the gospel and its effect and work in our life. But let's not skip the obvious. We might ask the question, well, what is what is the gospel? That's a word that means good news. And what is the good news? It's that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Now, that is a loaded phrase because to be forgiven means you have to, you have a need of forgiveness. That is a statement about our spiritual state that we are all sinners. So, in the gospel, we find a complex we find numerous truths coming out. God is holy, we are not, and the power to reconcile sinners and a holy God who are at enmity with each other is from Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power for conversion. The gospel is also the power for doing that which God requires of us. The gospel is the power for sanctification, for the transformation of our character. And we read this, go all the way back to Romans chapter 1. Remember Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 are the thesis statement for Romans because Romans is an in-depth exposition, explanation of the gospel. And in Romans 1.16 we read, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation, either that salvation that comes in conversion or that salvation that not only comes in conversion, but is the outworking of the gospel in our life where we come to do that which God calls us to do. Our obedience is grounded in not self-discipline and self-determination and self-power, but it is grounded instead on what God has done on our behalf in Christ. That's the power of the gospel at work. So the gospel is more than just a message, and I've said this several times, that we're forgiven. The gospel is a communication that we are justified in Christ, declared righteous. That's more than forgiveness. This is the change in our status from sinner to saint that happens because we possess the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith alone. So the gospel is also this message that we are justified, that we are adopted in Christ, that we belong to God, that He belongs to us, that He will not abandon us, that we are His and he has welcomed us into the forever family because of our spiritual status. And the gospel is the message that there is hope. That indeed we will one day go to dwell with the Father because his wrath has been satisfied in Christ. All of these are part of 
what it means to believe the gospel. And the power of the gospel, how does this work in the Christian's life? And, and how do we, as it were, go over to the breaker panel and flip the breaker and empower, see our Christian life empowered by the wonderful message of good news and all those truths and the apprehension of them in our life? What does the gospel do for us? And there's four things that you're going to see in this passage, and I have an outline in your bulletin to prove that I'm organized and to also help you follow along. But we're going to see this is a, this is a run-on sentence. You might have noticed, but it's an inspired run-on sentence, so we're going to allow for that. But you see phrase upon phrase layered up here in how the gospel empowers us. And the first thing you're going to see in verse 25 is that the gospel gives us strength. Look in verse 25, now to him who is able to do what? Strengthen you. And the strength comes according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, implied here, if you need strength which we're told He is able to strengthen us, that means we're weak. That means that at times in our life, we indeed are weak, and we need the strengthening. And the strengthening is according to the gospel. It's not according to our self-effort. The gospel empowers our effort. Christianity does require effort, but the effort doesn't come from self, it comes from the fact of how loved and treasured we are by God and the gospel awakens us to this love. So the power of the gospel gives strength in terms of we are weak, we need this strengthening, so we need to receive that with humility, that we need strengthening, realizing we've got to look outside ourselves for this strength. It comes from the gospel in terms of in terms of apprehending and understanding how loved and precious we are by God. The good news that changes everything is forgiveness, yes, but it's more than that. It's justification, it's adoption, it's sanctification, and the power of the resurrection, which communicates to us how precious and loved we are and our hearts overflow with gratitude. And this gives us strength and encouragement for obeying God. And we see that the strengthening is according to the gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. So the preaching, good preaching, includes the declaration of this good news, of the gospel. That's included uh, in it. Now, you may ask, if you've been really looking closely here... I started in verse 25. What happened to verse 24? Look at verse 23. And perhaps in your translation, it goes from verse 23 to verse 25. What happened to verse 24? You might have a footnote there, or verse 24 might appear in brackets. And what you're going to notice here is at the end of verse 20, that phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In if you do the textual study, 
there's about 10 different versions, manuscripts of Romans where that phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, actually is verse 24. Now, I tell you that, that you might have great confidence in the work of translators who have given us the English translation here of the Bible, because whether the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you appears at the end of verse 20, or whether it's verse 24, it doesn't really matter, does it? There's no theological doctrine that's in this uh, a kind of important doctrine communicated to us in a verse which, because of the science of textual transmission, because these were real people copying manuscripts and the way manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, survive, of which there's more evidence uh, of the of the transmission of the biblical text than there is of any ancient literature, you should have tremendous confidence that what has come to us is accurate. But I explain that to you because you may be wondering, where is verse 24? And it doesn't really matter if it's in at the end of verse 20 or the beginning of verse 24. The key is the power of the gospel gives us strength. When we are feeling weak, when we are feeling unmotivated, when we are discouraged, when we lack hope, we should seek to reconnect with all the truths and apprehend all the truths that come from the gospel message. It is more than just forgiveness. The benefits of redemption are something we are called to avail ourselves of that we might be fortified spiritually for the challenges that we meet in our day. Now, when I was growing up, and probably you too, and parents, you probably tell your kids this too, you know, they, they've got a big day ahead of them, and when I had a big day ahead of me, and I was a kid, my parents would tell me, eat a good breakfast. Eat a good breakfast. So I knew that the bowl of Lucky Charms had to be really full. That was a good breakfast, you know, really needed that red dye number 40 or whatever in my, in my life. You know, and you're laughing, that's not a good breakfast, is it? That's not a good breakfast, but that's what we do spiritually every day. Every day, Christians lack the encouragement and the motivation to do that which God requires because they spiritually eat a bowl of Lucky Charms. Don't tell me it's whole grain or anything like that. And how do we do that? Well, what we do is, what are we paying attention to? What are we setting before us? What are we spending our time taking in? It's the spiritual equivalent of Lucky Charms. Why is Christianity in the state that it's in in society? It's because we decide, instead of connecting with the means of grace, prayer, God's word, worship, coming to worship, connecting with God through the Lord's Supper, reconnecting with the truths of the gospel. Instead of doing this, we're giving ourselves to other things. 
we might know everything that's going on in the news or in the world or with certain sports or other things like that. And those things are not inherently wrong, but if we really give our time and effort to that, it's the spiritual equivalent of lucky charms, and it will not fortify you against the fears, the worries, and the anxieties of the world. And so we want to, we, we need to spiritually eat a good breakfast. In other words, to be strengthened and to be strengthened, to be fortified is according to the gospel, reconnecting with, reminding ourselves of all the truths of the gospel, how loved we are, how forgiven, how we belong to God, how he has welcomed us in. And by so doing, we spiritually fortify ourselves against the challenges and the temptations of our day. So my encouragement to you, look how you're spending your time. You know, one thing you can do, you can sit down and you can read the entire book of Romans now that we're done uh, preaching it. You can read through. Take you about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half to read the entire book of Romans. Yeah, I don't have time for that. I've got to stream my latest show. They came out with a, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you're streaming a good show. I don't know, although I doubt it, because um, I know what's on too. Uh, but here's the deal. You know, look at how you're spending your time. We have plenty of time to fortify ourselves, and in wisdom, we need that encouragement. We need that strength to reconnect with the gospel message and to spiritually eat a good breakfast. So that's my encouragement to you. The, the power of the gospel gives strength. Before you exhibit self-control, before you exhibit self-discipline, you need to connect with the power of the gospel. So the gospel strengthens us. That's the first point. And the second point here, the power of the gospel unites us. Unites us. Look at the uh, second half of verse 25 here. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And that word mystery, we talked about that uh, back in Romans eleven twenty-five. It's one of Paul's uh, favorite words, mystery. And the idea here behind mystery is not something that you should solve. You remember me telling you about that. Mystery is not something we solve. Instead, it's something we marvel at. You know, have you ever gone to the Grand Canyon or somewhere amazing and you've got this tour guide and they're, they're talking and they're explaining things to you and you're like, yeah, whatever, look at this. That's what we're called to do with the gospel of grace, is to marvel and wonder at this truth of how a holy God would save the likes of us, and to marvel and to wonder at it. That's why it's a mystery. It's not something to be solved. It's something to back up and to say, wow, to. In this mystery which is God's redemptive plan. Look at the end of verse 25. Was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. In other words, this 
plan, and God only has plan A. And this is a reason why we marvel at him, because his plan never changes. And that plan is traced from Genesis to Revelation. It's a plan that begins there in a garden, and it also ends in a garden. It is a plan, the unfolding of the mystery of God, of how he has rescued beginning with the Jews and then moving out to all nations, making his grace known. And this is the gospel that unites because the gospel goes all the way to the ends of the earth, to the nations. According to the command of the eternal God, he brings people together under the banner of the gospel. Remember the two purposes of Romans, exposition of the gospel, in-depth exposition, explanation of the gospel, Second purpose, uniting Jews and Gentiles in the church. And, you know, though our culture tries to unite people, our culture tries to unite people by erasing differences, by saying that the differences don't really matter. But that's not really how you unite people because differences do matter. And instead, the biblical way of uniting, how Jews and Gentiles come together, the biblical way of bringing unity is to have someone greater come along, someone who is greater than the differences. And this is what's so beautiful about Christian community and Christian unity. That person has come along, Jesus Christ, and he is more and better than any difference any ethnic difference, any religious difference that people have. And he unites because he is so great. And every difference that we have is subsumed, is secondary to the wonder of, of his greatness. And so God's plan of redemption goes all the way to the ends of the earth, to the nations. And Romans here shows us that unity is not in dissolving the differences, but in submitting the differences to our King, King Jesus. And the differences become secondary when you hold Jesus, the most important thing, the most important person, when you hold salvation in common. So not only does the power of the gospel give us strength and that encouragement, the gospel also unifies us. And then third point here, the power of the gospel brings about the obedience of faith. So notice this, at the end of verse 26, this mystery, the redemptive plan of God, all of it has happened. What's the end? What's the teleos? What's the purpose of all of this? Look at the end of verse 26, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, the obedience of faith is a faith that is motivated by obedience. It is a faith that an obedience that belongs to the faith. In other words, it's because of our belief that we behave the way we do. You can't reverse it. It is, the gospel is an inside-out proposition. A change of heart, which leads to a change of behavior, and you cannot reverse the two. 
The gospel begins working on the inside of our heart and works out to our hands in our behavior and the actions that we take. The gospel motivates our obedience. So the obedience is of faith because of faith. So we are not saved by our obedience. Many of us would say, yes, that's obvious. We are not saved by the good things that we do. We're saved instead by the good things that Jesus did. But I would offer you this as well. We, are, we do not improve our position with God through the things that we do. Our position is already improved by what was done on our behalf. And so the obedience of faith is an obedience motivated because we belong, not in order to belong. The obedience of faith is not for a reward primarily. It is because we have already received the reward, life in Christ. And that's what pushes us towards obedience. And you might think of it this way. You know, next door we have the Life Center. And you might notice we had a problem with the construction because they excavated and the lower level is below grade. And we had a problem because... Uh, that lower level, uh, you know, what happens in the Texas Hill Country? Well, you don't get rain for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then you get all the rain for those previous weeks in a few hours. And so that happened. And the space in between the two buildings became so saturated with water, water running off the Worship and Children's Center, water running off the Life Center, all landing in that space between the two buildings. And what happened, that water pushed and looked for a place to go, and they had underestimated the amount of water that could saturate that area, and it forced its way in the, into the life center there at the bottom where the foundation and the wall comes together. That seam, even though they had French drain, waterproofing, everything, the water overcame that and went into the building. And we're fortunate it happened before uh, we were in there so they could re-excavate, re-waterproof, and uh, build things up uh, so we don't have any problem. And, you know, they're going to hear about it if we have a problem uh, now that we're in there. But my point in telling you that is there's tremendous push. There's tremendous power in the weight of that water and how it found a weak point and pushed out and into the building. And that's the power of the gospel in our life. The gospel comes in and it saturates our heart with the wonder of how loved we are and how forgiven we are and how precious we are to God. And that saturates our heart to such an extent that it pushes out. And it pushes out our disordered loves. The things we love that we shouldn't love, it reorders those things, it reorders our desires. The power of the gospel pushes out. And a Puritan Thomas Chalmers preached a sermon long ago called The Ex um, Expulsive Power of the New Affections. The Expulsive Power of the New Affections. And what he was talking about is, he was talking about the power of the gospel to come into our life and to push out that which doesn't belong. 
And this is the expulsive power of the new affections. God gives us new affections, new loves, new desires, and the attraction of sin is reduced in our life. Notice I said reduced, not uh, totally dealt with. I'm not preaching perfection. Read Romans 6. But the attraction of sin is reduced from the expulsive power, the pushing power of the gospel as we belong to Christ and he belongs to us. And it is ours to really nurture that kind of expulsive power and to notice in our lives when temptations and sins are waylaying us and ambushing us that we might be fortified uh, through this expulsive power and we might understand that not only do we need a behavior change, but that behavior change starts with a greater apprehension and reconnection to the truth of the gospel and the power in it. So, so far, what we've seen, power of the gospel gives strength, unites, brings about the obedience of faith. And where does this all lead us? It leads us to worship. The power of the gospel leads us to worship. This is, again, wondering and marveling at the fact that we are uh, Christians. But we come to the end of Romans, and the end of Romans is really a call for us to worship the only wise God and to give Him glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. This worship, it's more than Sunday morning. It's everything in our life oriented towards giving God glory because He is the righteous one who deserves this glory. And knowing what He has done for us uh, means the glory belongs to Him. There's a church in San Antonio that for years, and some of you might have been uh, part of this church, great church, and they had a campaign on daylight saving time Sunday, on, on this Sunday, which we're like, oh, you know, oh, I'm jet lagged. Uh, they, they had a campaign. And what they said was, we don't want anything to interfere with worship. Worship is a priority. Therefore, we say when to change our clocks. And you know what they did? They would change their clocks after worship. So they wouldn't go to worship tired or distracted or feeling jet lagged. They would protect and preserve that time of worship by adjusting the clocks when it was nap time on Sundays. And that must have worked great for a few years and then smartphones and you know, those change automatically. We don't get a choice in that. And the campaign kind of fell away. But it's really the idea behind it that I want to champion that we would not let things come in and interfere with our call to worship because the gospel drives us uh, to worship Him. And it's ours to protect Sunday morning, yes, and to protect other areas in our life that we might rightly come and reflect the wonder of all that God has done in our life through worship. So that 
Church's idea is really good. Let's protect Sunday morning. Let's not give it over to the cares and concerns of the world. Let's not give it over to kids' sports. Let's instead give it over to the one who rightly deserves our all and everything. God himself, who through Jesus Christ rescues us to the only wise God, to him, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ because of all that he has done for us in the gospel. And so you can see here how the power of the gospel, which is more than just a message of forgiveness, it gives us strength and encourages us in our walks with God. It unites God's people as we realize what we hold in common is greater than what uh, our differences are. And the power of the gospel motivates us towards obedience and leads us ultimately to a place of worship, appreciation, and gratitude for the one who has rescued us from sin. That's the message of Romans, and that is the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how thankful we are indeed for the work and the power of the gospel in our lives, a power which motivates us to desire to live, love, and serve you. And we pray indeed that the gospel would give us strength and encouragement, would unite us together as your people, would bring about the obedience of faith, and we pray as well that the gospel would lead us to a deep, regular, and abiding worship in our lives. We thank you for what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We thank you that our status has changed, and we thank you that we belong to you. We thank you for the power of the gospel, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.